0: You are listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Patient noncompliance. You can lead a horse to water, but how do we as physicians make them drink? Plus, physician-patient relationships gone bad. Breaking up is hard to do. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskel. Joining me today, Jim Bream, an attorney with the offices of Quarry and Harrow. Jim concentrates on the defense of hospitals, managed care organizations, and physicians in professional liability programs. He has handled cases in the trial and appellate courts and is a featured speaker and guest lecturer on various health care and medical legal issues. Welcome, counselor. I'm very pleased to be here. Let's talk about patient noncompliance. Let's define it first, if you will.
1: Well, when we're talking about patient noncompliance, it's a broad range of topics. Patients that are not following through with your plans or recommendations. Patients who are not taking medications as prescribed or Patients who are not following up in terms of clinic care or office visit care or consultant care, as you may have ordered.
0: I am responsible for the patients
1: not acting on what I tell them to do. You are responsible for continuity of care. If, for instance, in one visit you have that patient who comes in and complains of chest pain, you've done your history, you've done your physical examination, and you've determined that it's a costochondritis. We're not talking about ischemic chest pain. In your next visit, the patient comes in and complains of a sinus infection, but your charting is absent, has nothing in it relative to chest pain. Really, what you need to do is to document patient no longer complains of chest pain or chest pain resolved, because that is proof that your plan, your assessment, and your plan that you carried through was appropriate. Well,
0: what if I told that patient to get a stress test, and they never followed up with the stress test, and I can't remember if they got the stress test. They subsequently
1: go on to have a massive MI. We're talking about a change in the way in which litigation is formulated because it certainly used to be, I know when I started, If the doctor wrote down, get an EKG or get a stress test or get a stress echo, that was enough. But it's not that case anymore. What you will encounter is, okay, you felt that this patient's symptomatology was severe enough or concerning enough that a workup was indicated. So you ordered them to go and get the stress echo. They didn't go through with it, and they come back to see you. You need to have some documentation as to whether or not they got that stress echo, and if so, what the results are. Now, you mentioned I don't remember every patient. I have so many thousands of patient lives that come through my office. How is it that I'm going to remember for each patient who comes in what I ordered a month ago or two months ago? That's where good medical charting comes into play. I have a new electronic medical record in
0: my office, and anytime time I order any test, there's an alarm set So if I order a stress echo, there's an alarm set for, let's say, two weeks. And if that order does not come back, bells go off, and I get a reminder in my inbox that this patient has not had a stress echo, I can call them again and say, please get the stress echo. But how long do I have to do that for? Let's say I keep doing it for six months. Every two weeks I'm calling the patient, get the stress echo, and they never do it. And they, again, subsequently have the MI. Am I covered because I did my best at trying to get them that test and was covered in the chart? There's
1: really two parts to that question. First, let's talk about the reminder system that you have, which is great. And it would be ideal if every physician in the country could have a similar type of alert system to provide that continuity of care. But when you're calling them, you need to do more. You need to document that telephone call. Sure. Whether it's a slip, whether it's a progress note, in some way, it's not just... Called them and reminded them, it's called them and reminded them and documented it. Right. The software
0: I have also does that. There's a note tagged to that exact task. When I get the reminder or the tickler, a box pops up and says patient called, task completed, or patient called, you know, patient was not able to be notified, and then it goes back into a tickler system.
1: So the second part of the question is, how long do I have to babysit this patient right. and continue to remind them of their need to be part of this relationship? And that's the key. We're talking about a physician-patient relationship. This is not a paternalistic relationship where you as the father are scolding the child on a constant basis.
0: Ah, uh, but I beg to differ. I have patients coming in all the time and say, Doctor, you're going to yell at me for this And I say, I'm not your father. I'm younger than you. It is a bizarre relationship, Jim. It is paternal. It's psychological. It's spiritual. It's not just this simple relationship.
1: But you see, I don't think we're differing. I think we're actually agreeing because your advice to the patient is, I'm not your father. The relationship ideally that you want to create, and I think you'd agree with me on this, is a two-way relationship It's not always going to be 100% equal. In other words, not 50-50. There's going to be some instances where you maybe play a little bit more of a fatherly role. But in order to have a relationship, you need to depend on participation by the patient. True? True. Absolutely. So what do we do when the patient refuses to participate? Right. Can I say,
0: you know what? I have done my best. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. I can't take it anymore, I can't sleep at night because you're not listening to me and you're putting me in an uncomfortable situation. Can I discharge that patient from my practice?
1: I think there comes a point where you do need to terminate a relationship with a particular patient. If they're not participating in the relationship, they're not taking an active interest in their own health care, termination is appropriate. But again, what we're concerned about is documentation and it comes down to appropriate documentation with a letter of termination to the patient, spelling out to the patient that because of our inability to have a good, solid physician-patient relationship, there is no choice but to terminate that relationship at this time. I will provide you with alternative names of other healthcare care providers or a resource number which you can contact, such as a physician finder service at your local hospital, to obtain a new physician. And in the meantime, for the next 30 days, I'll continue to treat you while you look for a new physician. And should you have an emergency need, yes, you may come and see me for that emergency need.
0: Right. So that's a pretty standard letter that most physicians should have in their armamentarium. And if not, I would imagine there's a website they can go to to get that specific language in how to break up with a patient.
1: That's right. It's a template that you should have. And if you don't have it, and you have a good relationship with an attorney that can provide you with that type of information, consult your attorney so that you can get uh, the appropriate type of documentation to use in your practice.
0: You know, there was one patient I had to break up with or terminate because it was the only way to get him to wake up to what I was saying. I sent him a breakup letter, and he he was shocked. He was devastated. He called me saying, What are you doing? How can you break up with me? Yeah, You know, you're my doctor. And I took him back because, you know, it woke him up to, to what I wanted him to do, which was to go see a psychiatrist. I offered to pay for him to go see the psychiatrist, and he would never do it. He was just, but finally he went. So I continued to see him.
1: I had a case where an internist and a surgeon were sued because a patient developed a lump in her breast, and the internist referred the patient on to the surgeon for a biopsy. Surgeon saw the patient, and said, yes, you need a biopsy. I'm going to schedule it for this and this date. And the patient canceled the biopsy and didn't return back to see anybody for almost two years. So everybody gets sued. She went into denial. Now, that case was dropped because, in fact, she went into denial... And the physicians did document, but they lost the patient to follow up.
0: What about, you know, when you break up with a patient? You know, many times you want to break up with a patient just because of what I would call counter-transference issues, where I don't like that patient. And because I don't like them, I cannot provide really good care to them because I don't like them and they make me uncomfortable. And I'm thinking about other things when I'm in the exam room, like, When can I get out of the exam room? I do not think I will be a good physician for that patient, and I want to break up with that patient just because we have bad chemistry. And I'm scared to break up with those people because it's awkward.
1: Well, it's a free market society, so I think that you do have some say in who your patient base and population is. From a legal perspective, the thing that practitioners need to realize is that if that patient presents to them with an emergent condition You need to evaluate that emergency. You can't simply at the doorstep say, I don't like the way that you look or I don't like your attitude. I don't care if you're clutching your chest.
0: Now, have there been a case or cases where a disgruntled, rejected patient that was discharged from a practice is so shamed or humiliated that they can't handle it and they actually kill the physician or do something violent? Fortunately, I have not heard of that. That's good. Jim, can I terminate a patient who has coronary artery disease, who continues to smoke, and I counsel him every month, you have to quit smoking, you have to quit smoking, you're going to kill yourself, and doesn't matter what other medicines I give you, the smoking is what is doing the damage, and he continues to smoke. I'm, in essence, I am
1: enabling him, and I'm an accessory to the crime. You know, it used to be that in myocardial infarction cases or coronary artery disease cases... The old rule or the old template that we applied was how far did the patient get from the emergency room before he or she died. If they died in chairs waiting, that was a bad case, you know, difficult to defend. If it was three months down the road, it was more easily defended. But that's changed today because today the lawsuit is not necessarily how far did the patient get from the emergency room, but how well did you, Dr. Larry Caskell, manage that patient in the office? Did you manage the patient's lipids? Did you manage the patient's lifestyle? Did you manage the smoking? Did you adequately warn them of the risks of their comorbid conditions? Did you tell them to lose weight? Did you tell them that if they lost weight, it would control their sleep apnea and it would probably improve their diabetes? So the question is, can you terminate that type of patient? If you have a patient who's not participating in the care, you need to have it documented that this has been warned to the patient time and time again. And if the patient isn't going to participate in his or her management, then maybe it is appropriate to terminate. Or as you mentioned with the one patient that you had, maybe serving up termination or the threat of termination will be the wake-up call that the patient needs to start to be an active member of that relationship.
0: So any other things you recommend when breaking up?
1: Well, in terms of documenting patient noncompliance, I do suggest that you be factual and that you not be emotional. Don't call the patient names. Just state what it is, what you've recommended, and that the patient has refused it. Be consistent. If there's time-to-time, visit-to-visit that the patient is still refusing, document it every time. And if letters are sent, you were asked to get the mammogram, you were asked to get the stress test, and you haven't done it, make sure that that letter goes into the chart same thing with telephone messages.
0: Thank you again, Jim Bream, for illuminating the topic on how to break up with patients correctly. My name is Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to the Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.